Unmakers. I'm Tim Burrows from Unmade. Welcome to The Unmakers, a series in which I talk to people who are trying to remake the media and marketing world. Each episode, I talk to people who are doing business differently. We're going to meet the startups, the troublemakers and the dreamers who've looked at the communications industry and are trying to find a better way. If you're an unmaker with a story to tell about how you're changing the media and marketing world, I'd love to hear from you. Email me at tim at unmade.media. Before you remake it, you've got to unmake it. In today's episode, I'm talking to Simon Haycomb. There aren't many people better qualified to be here. Simon has been putting his money where his mouth is for more than a decade. His branding and strategy agency, Hunter, first came into being something like 13 years ago. And that was, in turn, an evolution from creative agency, The Surgery, which ran for almost a decade. Now, a couple of things make Simon interesting to talk to when we're thinking about new business models. One is Hunter's decentralized model. The team is dotted across Melbourne, Auckland, Wellington, and London. And the other is the sister company, which is much younger, Rightful, helps incubate or possibly re-incubate startups, scale-ups, and bigger brands that have a part of their business that needs rebooting. The focus is or will be on brands in the food and beverage sector. Simon, welcome along. I'm going to focus a bit on Rightful and a bit on uh, Hunter today. Um, so before we get into it, let's let's get the context of your your hinterland and, and and talk about Hunter. What what makes it different to your typical creative or strategy agency? Um, thanks, Tim, and welcome uh, welcome to you as well. Uh, one thing that I, I, I really loved about Hunter when, when we when we started that back in 2010 uh, was the fact that my co-founder was based in New Zealand. Um, he'd come from London, uh, headed over to New Zealand, and didn't want to venture across to Melbourne to start an agency. So um, we decided to start up um, this trans-Tasman agency. And I, I think back in 2010 when we first spoke, you know, it was very unusual to set up an agency uh, across two markets, um, particularly when you talk about structure like uh, the P&L uh, clients. Um, we were just one agency across two countries uh, to start with. So that that was super fun, super different. Uh, the second thing that we did was um, we realised the opportunity for uh, brands entering New Zealand to work with one agency or vice versa, brands entering Australia to work with one agency. Uh, it was really refreshing for marketers to uh, not have to deal with, you know, geographical agencies based in Melbourne or based in Auckland or based in Wellington or Sydney. Uh, we were just one agency and one team uh, working across the planet. Um, and as I termed way back then, we called it a cloud agency model. Uh, I still have the... Uh, the manifesto that we wrote up, and um, <laughs> like all good marketing, um, it it no one had a clue what the hell we were talking about. Even we didn't know what we were doing at the time. Uh, but now it's 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 pretty much a hybrid, uh, you know, model that um, we kind of work with now. And of course, you know, I suppose the thing which has brought the world to meet you a little bit was that you know the the the, the sudden rise of the pandemic and 
all of a sudden nobody was working from the office anymore. Um, did that, uh, did, did, did that change anything about how the outside world perceived your model? Do you think? Uh, it was, it was actually really interesting because I felt that the marketers that we had worked with over the years uh, knew exactly what to do and they were quite excited because uh, they were working around systems within uh, their businesses and within their structures to work with agencies like ours. So video conferencing, um, weird setups like where have we, you know, having a, a creative director um, slash co-founder in New Zealand dealing with Sydney clients and Sydney teams. They were sort of used to that. And uh, obviously, we were all used to it. We'd worked out how to, um, you know, share files, um, send stuff, make sure that it's all sorted. Um, so, yeah, it, it, it was a fresh of breath there for us. And I, I kind of felt that uh, it was the world catching up, not only to us, but other, obviously, other businesses that were doing similar things, whether it be in music um, or in film or anything that's creative like like that. It's just, yeah, it's refreshing. And I suppose one of the things is um, you've tended to sort of reinvent what you do a few times as well. You know, we went from, you know, as I mentioned in the introduction, you, you rebooted the surgery as Hunter, um, and it is yourself and your 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 your, your business partner, as you mentioned, it was Matt Gibbons. Um, the two of you are now working on Rightful, um, so let's maybe talk about that because it's quite new, but it's also quite an interesting idea. What's the, what's the proposition? Um, yeah, so it's, it, over, over the years we've been at, at Hunter, I mean, when you start with a blank sheet, you get this opportunity to basically create whatever you want. And a lot of what we learned at Hunter working with food and beverage, um, businesses, uh, we kind of like. And typically, it happens all the time when you've got an agency working with great marketing teams and so forth, is there's all these things that you see and all these things you want to do, but because of the remit of what you should be doing as a branding agency or a creative agency, you kind of stick within your lanes. Um, and what was happening recently, I'd sort of say recently over the sort of four to five years, uh, was the bigger brands that we were working with were constantly um, being attacked by um, startups and challenger brands and, um, you know, entrepreneurs and every single category is being attacked. And it's really great because that's, you know, when we work with, um, you know, challenger brands that are number threes or number fours or number fives, what we do is we attack the market leaders. So we attack it all, all the weaknesses that they have, all the things that make their way of doing business quite difficult. Uh, again, going back to that blank sheet, uh, you can do anything when you're a startup. So what was happening was all these businesses um, just weren't innovating, they weren't creating. Uh, NPD was getting stuck, you know, um, in politics. New product development, NPD. Yeah, and, um, you know, budgets were, were misaligned. So depending on who had the most voice within a business, uh, they might want to do an advertising campaign, which absolutely made no difference to the business whatsoever. Uh, there's, you know, when they talk about innovation or new product development, 
um, it was like, oh, let's churn out another flavor, you know, um, let's do this, let's do that. It's not really groundbreaking. And the other thing that we, I mean, we, when you work with big companies, you see the faults. Um, you also see the great things that are happening. Um, the entrepreneur-minded people within the business, the ones that want to try new things, uh, they constantly got squashed. So it's like whenever we worked with great people, we were able to achieve great things. And um, and sometimes those people were just like they'd get fed up and leave. Uh, so the learnings that we had over those years uh, were salespeople were coming back to marketing going, this is what the retailers want. And marketing's like, no, this is what we've been developing. Push this. Uh, NPD was working off research reports that are kind of 18 months old. Um, they don't bring anything new. Uh, and I'm, you know, I'm being quite harsh because obviously there's some great reports and there's some great stuff that happens and there's some great insights. But then they're slow to market. By the time they've done it, it's too late, you know. Uh, and then the other, the other fascinating thing, um, which is common, you know, it's, it's the uh, mergers and acquisitions um, play. It's the MBA playbook that I, I call it. Um, you see a startup or you see someone building or you see a category that's doing really well and what do they do? They dive in and buy up um, a brand and then they try to typically integrate that brand within a business, a bigger business. Uh, the problem with buying brands, and let's just use kombucha as an example, is the large FMCG companies are buying at the height of the market, so paying way too much for it. Um, what we typically see is we see this purchase, of, and it's like this feeding frenzy of, you know, Coke versus Lion. Um, oh, we've got to buy a kombucha. So they... They chase a kombucha and then all of a sudden the prices go high or it could be a beer, it could be an on-out, it could be whatever. Or gin. Gin was the one for a while, wasn't it? Um, and then they buy these brands and then they fizzle out. I don't know if you remember during the pandemic, there was some noise around um, zombie brands. So what was happening was quietly the big FMCG slash CPG companies uh, were slowly selling off or getting rid of their zombie brands and they were trying to narrow their focus on key performing brands. If you think about the matrix, it's the dog versus the cash cow, you know, get rid of the dogs. And then you see founders come back. So I'm thinking like coconut water, the founder comes back and they try to, you know, relive their glory days and um, <laughs> it just fails. So with all those kind of things in mind, um, and I know it wasn't a, a brief summary and I've you know, gone on around um, the actual question. Hey, it's important context. It's important context and it's fun. I said this is going to be fun. Uh, so thank you for taking, you know, thank you everyone for coming on the journey with us. Um, but essentially what we believe is there's a better way to do NPD. There's a better way to innovate, there's a better way to do brand, there's a better way to meet consumer needs. And we literally put them into quadrants. It's like, what's sales doing? What's NPD doing? What's brand doing? And what is um, 
this research? What's the research telling us? And when we look at research, and it's really interesting now because, you know, everyone's talking about um, chat GBT and all these other things that are happening within the marketplace, was there's this thing called AI. And what it can do really quickly is bring all these data points into your research um, to help you navigate what is hot and what's not, and particularly microtrends. And this is where I think the the exciting part for us is when you've got billions of data points across the globe that's telling you kombucha is on the decline, right? Uh, coconut water is on the decline. Uh, almond milk, where's that? You know, what are the trends that are playing out and what can we take advantage of quite quickly, right? So we're not talking about going off into research land and being stuck down a rabbit hole. We're talking about live data that comes in and then as a team between NPD, sales, um, brand and marketing, what can we make of those trends? What can we create? And having having identified that, that problem, that opportunity for a solution, um, why do that as rightful rather than as part of the existing suite of what you offer as an agency with Hunter? Yeah, and that's a really good point. And that's something that we've we've talked about internally uh, a number of times. And it, it may we may fold this into a service from Hunter. I, I think what's interesting is is Hunter, although we we talk about business models, although we talk about innovation, or although we we really want to understand help a business, at the end of the day, Hunter's a branding agency, right? It's one one part of that quadrant I was talking about. And what what is really interesting when you look at branding agencies, what do they do as a solution for a category is they come in and go, hey, coffee's doing really well, gin's doing really well, uh, you know, chips, let's do a chip brand. They literally just come in and brand something within a category and it's quite superficial and it's not, I'm not saying that they're not going to add value, but there's no real depth to what they're doing. Uh, they're not really understanding the complete cycle of a brand or a business. And you have the opposite. You have plenty of companies doing NPD, but then they don't understand brand, right? So what we felt was if we can bring all these things together and build something and we're not just building for the sake of building. We're building to meet the gaps within a portfolio. And we could do that in partnership. We're not saying we're going to come up against these large FMCG. We're here to partner with them and we're here to co-create and we're here to do what we're good at and we're also going to hand over to what they're good at. And let's just drill into a few of the words there then because I've, I've heard you use the word partner. I've heard you use the word co-curate um are we also talking co-ownership in other words you'll have skin in the game in some way and how are you if so how are you thinking about that work when you're 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 working with big established organizations for instance yeah i i love i i love that question and again when you're 
when you're starting something up and you particularly in your bo- uh, a business model i mean it's really interesting you've got all these things that you want to do you have this hypothesis of the way that this thing will look and act right and part of that was uh if if we could get a client to pay us a certain amount of money we would come back to the table with a brand and a product right now we're not saying that we're going to go away and think we're saying we're going to work with you and your team to develop something. Traditionally, that's a fee-for-service business, right? That's a typical, you go away, here's the brief, come back, and here's, here's the thing that you're going to create. We felt that we have built so many brands, we've added so much value over the years, we've missed out on the upside, right? Now, of course, there's always a downside because everyone thinks, you know, Whatever they do is going to add value. It doesn't. It doesn't always work that way. So we're thinking, what can we do? We can bring a new product, a new brand to life. We then um, partner, which is an equity share, which is an equity ownership, like a VC, like a joint venture, uh, where we come in and we've got, you know, as you say, skin in the game. What we do best is we build stuff. We get it going. And what bigger companies tend to do is they're process-driven. They've got sales and distribution and production. That's their skill set, right? So, you know, I, I jokingly say when when the sergeant or the CEO sort of says, we're going over the hill that way, everything within that organization aligns. And it's just like a stampede, you know, just everyone's going that way. And it's a well-run machine. So give them something that they can run towards, you know, for. Give them a sense of purpose. Give them something interesting. So the way we would do it is we, we, we basically look at an equity split and then we'll build it, they'll grow it, and then we come back to the table in two to three years and um, they can either buy out our part, our share, or we sell to the market at market price. Okay, that makes sense. Um, now, you're, you're early enough in the idea that you're kind of at the, to use startup jargon, at the kind of pre-seed stage where you ask for relatively small investments to get this thing going. So um, how much are you looking for in this kind of first investment round? Um uh I've had lots and lots of discussions about this with so many people and uh, we said we said we wanted a million dollars, right? And when I talk to overseas VCs and people within the food space, that's a tiny investment, right, for something we're building. Uh, when I talk to people here in Australia, it's like, oh, you can't ask that much, you know, Um I think I think the idea is really strong, and and I think you know I both of us like Matt and I really believe in the product. We believe in what we can do, but like all things, we've got to test that hypothesis. And you know, you were talking about Hunter previously. The question is, where's our focus? Is it going to be on Hunter? Is this going to be the kind of poor child? You know, if we want. If we want to switch over and put this in as the focus, we need some capital to get things moving pretty quickly. Uh, 
I always say it's only a matter of time till someone else comes up with this model. Uh, so I'm like, okay, well, if we can get some money, we can supercharge and get it going and test test the hypothesis. So I think the, the the two questions VCs, venture capital companies, always kind of ask when they're talking about the valuations is the the first question they ask is how will you spend that investment, but the second question they ask, which is the one they really care about, is um what valuation are you placing on the business? So I might ask it the uh, the more honest way around. Uh, for that million dollars, what what are you valuing the business at? Five million. So they're sort of effectively taking a 20% or, or correct a yeah. stake. I, I mean, we've worked with so many brands, small, particularly small brands, like a small brand in Australia is 5 million, right? Just like it's tiny. A, a tiny player is a 5 million. If you get to 5 million, it's, it's a nice business, but it's not a really big business. Uh, what we have done is we've had, we've been working with $5 million businesses. And we've turned them into $50 million businesses. We've turned them into $100 million businesses. We know how to navigate um, that challenger brand world, so to speak. So we felt that, you know, with our current model, if we, if we got four brands to the table and we valued that, those brands, we got them to say $5 million. Um, the beauty of the big FMCG or CPG, if we're talking to the states, is their ability to scale, you know. And just through the power of distribution and sales, they can scale. They've got the production sorted. Those brands will grow pretty quickly. So the upside is we build something, they scale it, we both take, you know, um, advantage of the upside. So that $1 million of investment assuming it comes in, how will you spend it? So the plan is to, uh, one, we need to pay for the technology, um, for the data, the live data. That's in the States at the moment. We need to sign an agreement with those guys to get that data. So that's part of it. The other part is um, we need to put someone in that's experiencing in NPD and innovation. On the food side. So, of course, we have plenty of ideas. Of course, the data will point us in a direction, but we still need someone to make the product. And when we talk about the product, it's like the taste and the ingredients and do all that kind of thing. Um, the other thing we'd like to do is is partner with the sales. We've got a couple of um, amazing sales guys that we want to partner with um, to just sort out what's happening in retail land and and when we and when we think about retail, we're not necessarily thinking about supermarkets because we've got this, you know, blank sheet. We can think about ways to market or ways to consumer, whether it be D to C, uh, whether it be via an Amazon. Um, there's all these other opportunities. And then the other thing is to um, to basically publicise the offering, you know. Uh, do we need the million dollars? Are we going to spend it all in, you know, the first few months like you see in those sort of startup shows where they just, you know, um, burn the capital? I don't think so. I think what what is interesting from our point of view is that we're a business first and foremost. Uh, we're a business to make money. Uh, we're a business that 
needs to run as a business, not as a loss-making. You know, a lot of these um, tech startups that I'm sure you're aware of, you know, you're pouring less money to extend their runway and potentially they're going to make, you know, 100 times in 10, 15 years. Um, We're looking to turn around and start making money from day dot uh, we're looking to um, to make that return on investment within the first year. Let's um, let's just drill into something something you 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 you, you just alluded to in terms of um, accessing the, uh, the the data out of the US and a, and a point you made much earlier in the conversation the the sort of opportunities that AI offers for drilling into the data. Um, I know it's suddenly become very fashionable to talk about generative AI, um, you know, and I, I, you know, it, it became fashionable after you started thinking about, um, about this model. You know, I, I, you know, I, I can remember us having a coffee and I reckon it will be more than a year ago, probably <laughs> when you were telling me about it. Um, yeah. so, uh, where is AI factoring in your thinking when it comes to using that, digging into that data to get you the insights? Is, is this just, an interesting part of the conversation or is this central to your thinking no it's it's just an interesting part i mean i saw something yesterday that uh, you can um put something into generative uh, ai and it can spit out all these recipes and tell you what to cook and all this so that that's fantastic right uh what the data what we're looking at is we're looking at what is trending right now uh, from a consumer point of view across so many different um, touch points, so to speak. So what's happening on menus, what's being put into search. Uh, can uh, AI, the generative stuff, do that? I'm not sure. Uh, I'm wondering when we talk to our counterparts in the US uh, whether they're onto something slightly different from the model that they shared with us sort of two to three years ago, you know, um, I don't know what is changed from there. And I guess the sense, you know, there was this conversation probably, say, five, probably even 10 years ago, Tim, around big data. You know, all the companies were talking about this big data and it, how it's going to change the world. But the problem now at the moment with generative is most people don't know how to use it. And so it's like, okay, we would definitely look at it. But I guess the question is, is it going to add to the business does it make sense to use for the business? Um, or is it something that just like Facebook, you know, everyone jumped on Facebook because they wanted likes and stuff and then all of a sudden Facebook's not, there's nothing now. It's not part of the mix. Yeah, yeah, no, that makes sense. Um, Good question though. <laughs> thank you. Something else um, you, you, you touched upon and that sort of, I suppose, balancing act where you have an existing business and a new one. Um Assuming it begins to take off, rightful, how much of your time would go into it? Because I, I guess you'd have to balance the excitement of working on rightful with the needs of existing clients that hunted, and you'd want both constituencies to feel they were being properly looked after. Have yeah. you have you thought about that? Yeah, yeah, and uh, I mean that's a really good point because when Matt and I sit down and we talk about this stuff, we go, "What are we really good at?" and we're really good at solving problems, right? So we're good at starting stuff. Um, 
We're good at coming in and fixing brands that are broken. We're good at launching brands. But then, which is why we said we don't want to be an agency of record. You know, we don't want to be sitting here five years later going, hey, we've kept this client for five years. We're here to do a job and then pass on the keys either to the client or to an agency that does that day in, day out. So when I think about what we're good at, we're if we're good at kind of starting stuff, then our focus should really be on rightful. So the idea, the thinking was I would employ someone to take over my role. Uh, I would sit. I don't need a handhold. Um, Hunter runs very smoothly. We've got everything sorted. I'm sure, like anything new, the next person would bring you know, new ideas, new thoughts, maybe have a different way of organizing, whatever it may be. And then I would switch over to rightful pretty much 95% of my time. And a cheeky question, what salary would you pay yourself? Well, that's, I'm, I, I would say we're, we're pretty lean here. So, um, you know, I, I think 180 is, is high, right? It's tops. Uh, I think the, um, I think that those serious, like heavy conversations need to happen with the investor. Um, I mean, we, we work really hard, whether it's, you know, a small account or a large account, we just pour our passion into it. We love what we do. I mean, I love coming into the office every single day, except for Fridays when I work from home. Uh, but you know, I love that. And I, I, I don't do anything lightly. You know, often people say, why do you care so much? Um, I met with a printer this morning about some packaging stuff and um, he was just like, the thing I love about you, Simon, is you guys care. You care about everything. It's like, great. So I want to bring that passion. So, you know, I think we should be rewarded for what we do, but I also don't think that, you know, as a startup, again, going back to the business, we've got to make money. Um, We've got to be a feasible business, a viable business, and we want to build something for the long term. So, you know, I know there's plenty of execs that come in and I think they're going to get paid ridiculous amounts of money for startups. Um, no, we'll run as lean as we possibly can. And in terms of that pre-seed round, are you seeing this as likely to be just sort of one or two investors coming in or will it be a bit more friends and family and a number of different investors, do you think? Um, I think if we're going to be serious, I think the friends and family is just not, it's not an option. Uh, I think the um, proud, proud funding thing is not an option. I think the uh, I think it's really in my head. I literally was thinking a CEO that has left a la- or an MD that's left a large FMCG company uh, that has all announced knows exactly what you know. This industry is, you either know it or you don't. You know, it's like anything. It's like media. You either know media or you don't. Um, so I imagine someone coming in one or two uh, to put some money in. And I think it's a, it, it would also be a hands-on role, not, you know, you put some money. I can go to a bank and get, I mean, we're a viable business at Hunter. I can go get a loan from a bank. That's uh, We've talked about self-funding, um, but we did that. You know, we bootstrapped Hunter and it took us ages to build. And I finally, you know, we've got to a point now, I think we're making some serious inroads. So I just want to supercharge that and get things moving pretty quickly. 
And I don't think you can do that with family and friends. I don't think you can do that with um, angel investors, you know, where they all come in and they're all putting their 100,000 in or whatever and you've got 10 of them and they all want the world. Uh, I think what you need is a serious person that's going to come in and go, yep, I can see what you guys are doing. I see all the problems. Um, let's help. I'll, I can help you navigate some of the issues you're going to face because um, we've seen them before. Uh, yep, I'm willing to tip in. You know. So if someone wants to talk to you, how do they get in touch? Uh, they would either sort me out on LinkedIn um, or they can email me directly. At Simon at hunterand.co. So Simon at hunterand.co? Correct. We haven't set up our rightful email yet, but we do have rightful.company as a minimum viable brand. And just before we wrap up, I'd love to just get your perspective on the wider agency model. Um, what's, what's broken? And what still works in that agency model out there, do you think? Oh, look, um, I think this is almost a separate podcast altogether, Tim. Uh, but I love this. I'm really passionate about um, you know this question. I think creativity will never die, right? I, I think what um, creative people bring to the table is just amazing. So I think if you've got a great creative product, um, they're used to working you know, these extremes, they're used to um, constraints. So I think in a modern world, they'll always exist, right? And when we flip it to um, the strategists, like good strategists will are good strategists, you're either good or you're shit, right? So I, I don't think those will change. Um, I think the way the business is set up, and we've been saying this since we started Hunter, um, I still can't understand why a global network doesn't use the power of a global network to combine all its talent and work on projects together, right? Build teams out in this, not as separate business units. You know, that to me is just insane. It, it's the wrong model. Um, so I think that if anything from COVID and the pandemic has taught is that one, hybrid models work. Uh, I think what what needs to shift, and you know, maybe I'm, you know, pushing for the wrong thing, but I think it's the politics within the business, those hierarchies, uh, those, um, you know, I've worked all my way up to get to the top of this tower, and I'm going to defend it till the day I die. You know, I, I think that just needs to, you know, it's a modern world. We've been saying this for day dot, like you just come together. You solve a problem, you disband, you start again. You know, uh, you don't need to steal from other PLs. You don't need to fight a client over who's going to get what. Um, you don't need to fight creatives over whose idea gets up and not get up. And uh, so, I think that's part of it. And then I, I would say the the final pet peeve for me is the way. I mean, there's a few, but. You know, the way the industry is run, uh, we talk about this, you know, collaboration is used very loosely. Uh, I think collaboration is, is so powerful. It's so great. Um, so many people are against it, you know. Um, they talk about it. They'll do it when it suits them, but mostly they won't. Uh, so I think that that needs to change. And then just the industry, I think, you know, what 
What are the people in charge um, doing to create a better industry for people, um, a better industry for planet? And just like, yeah, let's make this a really exciting industry that people want to be part of. And what's wrong with that, you know? So if you could change something about agencies' behaviour, what would it be? Actually, there would be two things, Tim. Um, the first would be awards and the whole structure around winning awards. I, I think that's that's misaligned, to be honest, with with client needs. And uh, there's plenty of you know, there's plenty of agencies that talk about empathising with with the client and their world. And really, when you're chasing awards, and that's part of your um, you know your your goal as a business. It's not a goal of any client that, you know, I know that wants to do something for their business. So I think that's misaligned. I think that should change. Uh, I don't, you know, in having said that, I think it's great if you're doing it for the people internally, but don't shift the work to win awards because that's what your goal is or objective is for the business. So I think that's that's one thing. Uh, I know I'm going to get a lot of hate mail from that one. Um, the second thing is um, this infatuation with growth and new business. It, it's disgusting. I think you never, ever measure an agency by how much business they've won. You never measure an agency for how many people they've got, how many accounts they've got. I think that's just BS. Um, my question to any agency is, and to any client for that matter, is what value are they adding to the client's business, right? So, you know, I talked to you about how many people we have here in Hunter. We're a small, nimble team. We want to stay that way. We're not here to grow. We're not here to be the biggest. Um, That's not our mandate. Our mandate is to work really closely with clients and help ship their business, right? Business. We're not addressing advertising issues. We're not doing all those sorts of things. And I think that within... Within agencies, they're going to wake up one day and if they focus more on a client's business and helping client rather than being self-indulgent in, you know, obviously the awards section also um, highlighting how much new business they've won, I think, you know, they're going to be doing the right job for the client. Well, that's a pretty good manifesto to finish with. Simon, thank you very much indeed for your time. Thanks, Tim. Appreciate it. And um, all the best. Thanks for listening to The Unmakers from Unmade. If you're an unmaker, I'd love to talk to you. Email me, tim at unmade.media. Today's episode of The Unmakers was edited by Abe's Audio. I'm Tim Burrows. Before you remake it, you've got to unmake it. The Unmakers. Podcast edit by Abe's Audio.